Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 9, please. Open your Bibles or your Bible app, whatever you use to get into the Word of God, and go to Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 28 today as we continue our series on who's that man Jesus. You know, when asked about the future, most people, even in today's world, most people say they do believe that there is some form of eternity, some form of life after death. Most are not sure what it's like. That's a shot in the dark. But they believe it's real. They can sense, in fact, it's kind of a a global reality that people all around the world in every culture, every language have an intuitive sense, I believe, implanted there by God that, that there is someone out there and that there is some time in the future that we may meet, in the case of our culture, him or her. They're not sure what to think about God. They're not really sure what's out there, but they, they believe something must be out there. Uh, it's been said, uh, I remember when I was growing up, a common phrase was that some people think too much about heaven. They think too much about the next life. In fact, there's a famous saying, if you know it, you can say it with me, okay? Some people are so heavenly-minded, that they're of no earthly good. See, all of you over 55 knew that. And you know why? It's because those of you over 55 grew up hearing that, right? But tell you the truth, I don't think it's a problem anymore. At least I think it's very rare for me to meet someone who is so focused on eternity, so focused on heaven, that they're of no earthly good. That's a rare thing today. In fact, I would say today we have a different problem. That in today's culture, especially here in the U.S., maybe not so much in some of the places I travel to, like, like Africa, where they do still have more of an eternal focus. But I'd say for the average American today that most are so obsessed with this life and making it a little bit better that we seldom think beyond it. That this planet is our home and this life is our destiny and that's, that's all we got to go on. As a result today, by the way, I think some people are really concerned about the future of life on planet Earth because when you study it and you look at all the different ways in which humanity is developing the technology and the ability to take one another out completely, it's, it's not unreasonable to be skeptical of the future on planet Earth. Is life really sustainable on planet Earth going forward, at least very long? Well, it's interesting, I read an article just this week, or about a week ago, actually, um, about Jeff Bezos. Now, Jeff is a fairly smart guy, wouldn't you say? Who is Jeff? He's Mr. Amazon. As of last July, one year ago, Jeff officially became the wealthiest man on the planet. Some would say he's one of the smartest. He's, at least he's certainly figured out how to leverage Amazon. I know he gets a good portion of my wife's fortune <laughs> and mine. Amazon Prime. Yeah. Now you can get everything there. 
As of this March 2018, his net worth estimated at $130 billion. That's with a B, not an N. $130 billion. What you may not know about Jeff is, along with Amazon, he has a privately owned company called Blue Origins. Have you heard about this? He puts about a billion dollars a year of his income into Blue Origins. What's the purpose of Blue Origins? Well, it's basically to explore the area of how do we extend life beyond planet Earth? Because he's smart enough to see that if you're putting all your hope in planet Earth, you're probably putting your hope in the wrong place. And, and you gotta be a, there's got to be another solution to save humanity. And he's spending about a billion dollars a year of his own money on how to potentially colonize maybe the moon or Mars because humanity needs a better home. It needs a better future because even he sees that planet Earth seems to be on a clock that's ticking down and one way or another, we are probably going to take one another out. Now, I don't criticize Jeff for that. I kind of admire the fact that at least the guy's taking some initiative, right? At least he's trying to solve the problem that he sees. So the question for us as followers of Christ is this. So, so what does the future hold for you beyond this life and for the planet as a whole? What is the future of you and the future of planet Earth? And I believe that's really at the heart of what Jesus Christ is going to be teaching us today from Luke chapter 9. So let's go to the story. We're going to look at the story. First the setting, then the story, then the significance. And I think it has a lot of significance for your life, not to be more heavenly minded, to be of no earthly good, but actually so that if we get a clear view of eternity, this is my thesis, this is my point of the passage that I think Jesus has given us, to get a better, clear view of if, of the future of eternity actually helps you live with more wisdom on planet earth today so listen to the word of god go to luke chapter 9 what's the setting well ryan did a great job last week setting us up with the passage right before this uh, in fact if you go back it really is set up when last week jesus says who do people say that i am and they say well, some think you're this that's this second yeah. and he says, who do you say that i am and peter wisely says you're the christ the son of the living god you are the messiah you are the coming king and jesus says peter you're right but then he says this he says in verse 22 of chapter 9 uh, hey guys but the son of man must first suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the scribes and he's going to be killed and he's going to be raised up on the third day and and, and if you read the other parallel passages of that story, Peter says, hey, Lord, we can't let that happen. That's not going to happen to you. And Jesus says, Peter, yes, it is. That is where I'm headed. Because it didn't make sense. If he's Messiah, he's God in flesh, this idea of going to the cross and dying, even being resurrected, it didn't make a lot of sense to them. And they were trying to understand it and struggle with it. And then Jesus added this as if that wasn't tough enough news already. He delivered this tough message last week. Verse 23, if anyone, by the way, wishes to come after me, you don't like this idea for me, Peter, guess what? It's not just for me. He says he must plan to deny himself, take up his cross daily, not just one time, 
but live a lifestyle daily of taking up your cross and following Christ. For whoever wishes to try to save or find his life will lose it, but whoever loses or gives up his life for my sake, he's the one who's going to find it. You're going to find life. You're going to save life when you follow Christ that way. And, uh, and then he ends with this statement in verse 27 from last week. He says, But I say to you truthfully, as if Jesus had a habit of lying, right? <laughs> okay. You know, sometimes people say, well, to tell the truth, and it's like, well, why do you have to say that, Dale? I mean, do you sometimes tell the truth, sometimes don't? But anyway, but Jesus wanted to emphasize the reality of this statement. He says, I say to you truthfully, there are some of those standing here, he's talking to his group of disciples, who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. So he's created this anticipation that guess what? Yes, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, I'm going to be raised, whatever that's all about. But guess what? Some of you, before you even die, are going to see the kingdom of God. So the anticipation is jacked up. It's jacked up. It's raised. I mean, he just raised the bar on their sense of anticipation. Now, if you don't understand that, you won't understand the next story. But with that as the setting, now we go into the story of today's message. Jesus goes up a mountain to get away from people. He goes up a mountain, but he takes three of his disciples with him. The story, I call it the mountaintop glimpse into eternity. Pick it up in verse 28 with me. Some eight days after these, th- after these sayings, Jesus took along Peter, James, and John. I mentioned a few weeks ago that every time Jesus has a special significant lesson, he always picked the same three disciples. These were the three he would build his church on. He wanted them to experience this. He knew what was coming. And he went up the mountain, probably Mount Hermon, we believe, probably up the slopes of Mount Hermon in the north end of Israel. It says this, he goes up the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, and by the way, the other gospels tell this story too, and they say the disciples, likewise, they've done this before. What do they do? They fall asleep. (laughs) So they've dozed off. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face became different. His clothing became white and gleaming. And again, the other Gospels add some some more detail. Matthew, for example, Matthew 17, if you want to write that in your notes. By the way, you know you can take notes. I've given you an outline. This will help you today, especially. So you may want to follow it. But if you're taking some notes, make note of Matthew 17, because the account there says that his face was as bright as the sun and his clothing was as white as light. His appearance of his face became different, his clothing white and gleaming, bright. And behold, two men were talking with him. They were Moses and Elijah. You know, one thing that they don't tell us is how they knew that. I mean, Jesus probably told them that, but, but uh, I don't know if they had name tags. I'm not sure. They certainly hadn't been Facebook friends with Moses and Elijah, right? So they didn't see their latest Instagram pictures or anything. But they knew this was Moses and Elijah. And it says, Moses and Elijah, who who appeared also in glory. In other words, in glorified bodies, in their heavenly glory. They're they're long dead and gone. Moses, the, the giver of the law, 
uh, Elijah, the, the, the great prophet, who were appearing in glory, were speaking with Jesus. And, and some of the translations or some of the Gospels don't tell us what they're talking about, but here it says that they were discussing his coming departure. The word departure, if you translate it from the original language, could be translated exodus. Okay, so picture the exodus out of Egypt and into the Holy Land, the Promised Land. And so there's probably some imagery there. But they're discussing his coming departure from Jerusalem. In other words, probably they're discussing his upcoming death and resurrection and, and, and eventual ascension, departure from planet Earth back to, the, back to where they hang out, which is in heaven with God the Father. They're discussing that with Jesus. And now Peter and the guys wake up. I love this. It says, Peter and his companions had been overcome with sleep, but when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. And, and, and as these were leaving Jesus, so now Moses and Elijah are beginning to leave. They're beginning to depart. All of a sudden, Peter gets an idea. And he says, Master, it's, it's good for us to be here. Let us, let, let us make three tabernacles. Well, what's a tabernacle? These are not like big buildings. Uh, the tabernacle, the, the Jews celebrated a thing called the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Feast of Tabernacles was to remind them. It's when everyone go, would leave their homes, go outside of the city, and they, and they made makeshift tents. And they didn't make them out of cloth. They made them usually out of branches and palms and things like that. So they built these makeshift tents, and they lived in them during this Feast of Tabernacles as a reminder of how God had cared for them when they traveled through the wilderness for 40 years. And as a reminder also that someday, someday they would, they would enter the kingdom and live in the land and experience the full blessing of God. So the Feast of Tabernacles was very significant. And I think that's really what Peter's thinking. You know, most people read this and they just go, oh, Peter just kind of wanted to camp out. You know, hey, let's have a camp out. You got Moses and Elijah. Why not camp out for a few days? I'm liking this. But that's probably much more going on here. I'll show you why in a minute. There's much more going on because of all the prophets. Who was the last prophet to ever speak into the life of Israel? Do you know? Answer? Huh? Peter, James, John, um, John Paul, Ringo. Anybody got a guess? You know, the, the three, the, you know, the, by the way, some, they, I heard a man on the street interview, and they said, do you know the, the four disciples that wrote the four Gospels? And they said, well, I think it was John, Paul, uh, Ringo, and I don't know the fourth one. George, maybe, right? Sorry, I've, see, I've just left generations. Have you guys ever heard of the Beatles? Okay, then wake up. Okay, yeah, okay. So, the, but the reality is, he says, why don't we build these tabernacles? Now, why, why was he wanting to do that? Well, he thought the kingdom of God was about to begin, and there's actually a prophecy in Zechariah that talks about that they would celebrate in the new kingdom the, 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 the Feast of Tabernacles. So in one way or another, the bottom line is this. Peter was confused because Jesus actually comments in the gospel, uh, the gospel comments that Peter didn't really know what he was talking about, Okay. But, but he had a lot of things going on in his mind. Probably this. The last prophet was the prophet Malachi. 
So if you go to Malachi, keep your finger in Luke, okay, if you have a real Bible. If not, use your app real quick. Go back to the very end of the Old Testament. Now, there's a 400-year gap. You're going back about 400 years. Now, go back to Malachi, and not just the last prophet, but the last chapter and the last verses of that chapter. So the last revelation from God concerning his future for Israel was this. Verses 5, pick it up in verse 4, 5, and 6 of Malachi 4, and I'll put one of them on the screen here. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, even the statutes and ordinances which I have commanded him in Horeb for all of Israel. So number one, he says, remember the law of Moses. Well, Moses just showed up. And then verse 5 says this, Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. Now, what is the great and terrible day of the Lord? In Scripture, the great and terrible day of the Lord is when God sends Messiah to judge planet Earth. And those who are his followers are saved, and those that are not are put to death, and there's a judgment, and, 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 and humanity is judged, and, 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 and the, the, the glorious kingdom begins so if all of a sudden you're on this mountain and you see jesus but now jesus is glowing because the glory of god is showing out through him now the glory of god was normally masked so that he could hang out with people and walk among people but this time god allows the glory of jesus to shine and this is not just jesus under a spotlight out of the clouds It's not that God lit Jesus up, okay? It's that the glory of God within Jesus Christ as the God-man is allowed to actually uh, be shown for a change. And now Jesus in his glorified body, glowing like light, appears with Moses and Elijah also glowing, okay, in their glorified bodies. And they are having this conversation and you've just thought of what was the last thing that God said to us? He says, behold, when it's about time for the great and terrible day of the Lord, when people are going to bring judgment and and bring the kingdom uh, into being, I want to send Elijah the prophet. Guess what? I'm looking, uh, there he is. Read his name tag or whatever. But Elijah is there. So before you get too critical, some people read this and say, yeah, Peter didn't know what he was talking about. So Peter, you know, Peter's, Peter's just wanting to hang out and have a camping party. Not true. The bottom line is Peter was convinced this is the time for the kingdom to begin. Now, when he says that, the scriptures go on. Here's the story. It says, now, when Peter says this, verse 34, while he was saying this, in other words, he's still talking. We don't know what he's saying, but while he's saying this, a cloud formed. By the way, a cloud is often a symbol in the Old Testament of the presence of God. It was a cloud that formed and led the people through the wilderness during the Exodus. It was a cloud that would often uh, hang over the tabernacle. The, the, real, the cloud often represented the, the presence of God, and they're about to realize that's true again. So he says, uh, he says while he was speaking, a cloud formed. Uh, oh, now now you got the, the three guys under the cloud, and it began to overshadow the three disciples. So they're seeing this cloud come toward them, and it's starting to overshadow them. And it says they were fearful. That's an understatement. They were afraid as they entered the cloud. And then a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son. 
my chosen one, listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was alone. And they kept silent. Peter shut up. And they reported to no one in those days any of the things which they had seen. It's interesting. Matthew 17 actually adds some more detail of what, that, what was said. And if you put the Gospels together, basically the voice in the cloud said, This is my beloved Son whom I love, the Chosen One. Listen to Him. Peter, slow down a minute, man. You're making plans. You're making plans. You're getting way too far down the road right now. Just shut up and listen to Jesus. That's basically, God doesn't use the word shut up. That's a little harsh. Although maybe he did. All I know is Peter shut up and he listened. And this message was just listen to Jesus. Then the cloud and the Moses and Elijah disappeared and Jesus returned to his normal appearance and Jesus said to them, by the way, the full account in the other Gospels is Jesus said, don't tell anybody about this until after my resurrection. Then you can tell the story. So what do we learn from this? I mean, it's an awesome story, but what's the significance for you and for me as followers of Jesus Christ, most of us, some of you are here investigating Jesus. You're not sure what you think about him yet, and that's okay. We're here to help you figure that out. But what's the significance to this wild story? I think in essence it's about sharpening our vision of eternity. If I were to capture it in a phrase, it's really sharpening our vision of eternity so that we understand how to live in response to it. Let me make um, about five quick statements. I've outlined them on your handout, but I'll complete them. Number one. Foremost, this is a clear vision of Jesus. They get a vision of Jesus in his glorified eternal body. Now they see Jesus as he really is, outside of his just mere human flesh. They see the real Jesus that is coming. When you picture Jesus right now in the heavens, seated at the right hand of God, most of us picture the same Jesus we see in the pictures in our Bible of coming off the cross, and maybe we figure he's kind of getting cleaned up a little bit, but then he's sitting there, you know, beside God the Father. Not true. This is Jesus as he is today. It's very different. He's no longer limited by human flesh. He's, he's, he's in a, a body, but it's a glorified body. It's a glorified body. We see another glimpse of this glorified body, by the way, in John chapter 1, if you want to read it later. Go to John chapter 1. You'll read where, where John has, a, has an encounter with the glorified Jesus. And let me tell you something, it would scare you. It's a clear vision of Jesus. He sh he, they clearly see the future of Jesus. I think Jesus had just given the tough news that, guess what? I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die on a cross. I'm going to raise from the dead. But they didn't totally get that even. And, and, then, and then, so what's, the, what's, his, what's Jesus' future? What's their future look like? And, and the first thing, he wants to really show them, guess what, this is where I'm headed. Man, this is my eternity. This is me glorified. They see the full glory of God through Jesus Christ. Number two, it, it gives a clearer glimpse of their future. 
in their glorified eternal bodies. You know, this is our eternal destiny too. You know, because this story is not just about the destiny of um, Old Testament superstars like Moses and Elijah. You've got to be a law, you know, write the Ten Commandments or be, or be a great prophet. No, no, no. This is your future, my future. How do I know that? Well, because it's affirmed in this passage. It's affirmed, if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. A little hard to read, but, oh no, it's not. It's easy for you. It's hard for me. Here we go. So also is the resurrection of the dead, talking about in the future. Right now, when you die, your body decays, goes into the ground, right? Your spirit lives and goes to be with, with God, clearly taught in Scripture. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, is what the Apostle Paul said. That's how he put it. But yet, at some time in the future, you're going to receive a glorified spiritual body that you will live in forever. You're not going to have wings. You don't become an angel. Angels are a whole different class of creature. But this is what describes you. It says, your body is sown or buried a natural... It says, so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a, a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. It is sown or buried in dishonor. And if you've ever seen a dead person, it's not a pretty picture. It is raised in glory. There's that word. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. And then he goes on later to add this. It is sown a natural body. It is raised or will be raised a spiritual body. If there is now a natural body, which you know there is, then he's saying, trust me, there is also going to be a spiritual body. So your eternity is, as you see Moses and Elijah, I think it's a snapshot I'm not, you know, a snapshot of the idea that you're going to have a glorified future and a glorified body that is eternal, imperishable, it never grows old. My wife and I were talking about it this morning. We were talking about you're going to look great. And we decided we're going to look even better than you. Some of you, okay? No, no, no. That's, we'll probably be the least of the bunch. But we were discussing, you know, we're, we're going to be great. We will... We, would you be skinny? I don't know. Maybe skinny is not good. Maybe God wants all of you to put some pounds on. I don't know. But the reality is you're going to be in a glorified body, imperishable, no sickness, no illness, no death. Forever. That's pretty cool. And he gave them a glimpse of that. Man, don't fear. That's why he goes to them and he says, do not fear, get up. You have nothing to fear when you think about eternity if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ. He gives them a clearer vision of Jesus and his glorified body, a clearer glimpse of their own future in their glorified bodies. Number three, he gives them a, what I call a broader view of his kingdom. Because, you know, remember, Peter was focused on, wow, I mean, Messiah is glorified, so he can... He can really do damage now. I mean, he can kick out the Romans with a snap of his fingers or, or just breathe on them and they're gone. And, you know, he is now, his, his deity is unveiled. Moses and Elijah are on the spot. All the Malachi prophecy is fulfilled and the kingdom is beginning. So, but they get a broader view of the kingdom because, you know, what they learn is, look, what Malachi said, and here's the verse again, behold, I'm going to send you Elijah. 
the, the great prophet, before the coming terrible day of the Lord. That's true, but not now. In other words, let me show you a series of little diagrams. I'm a diagram guy. If you've been around Seacoast a long time, you know that pictures help me understand things. Let me just show you both what Peter thought and what we learn later in Scripture is our view of eternity. See, Peter's thinking was pretty simple. He's living, and Messiah's going to come, and when Messiah comes, the kingdom comes. And that kind of makes sense, right? If you read the Old Testament, that would make a lot of sense if you just read it casually. Messiah comes, the kingdom, his kingdom comes, and then eventually there's eternity. Hmm. But what Jesus says just last week was this. Peter, don't forget. Next slide. Is I got to die and be resurrected first. Because Jesus came to die for our sins. You can't move into God's kingdom for eternity unless your sins are paid for. And, and, and he can declare you forgiven because Christ has really paid the price for our sins. And he's been resurrected to prove that he was the, 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 the sacrifice uh, of God for those sins and that it was efficient and it worked and I mean wow so Jesus just said look I got to die and be resurrected first so now we're understanding that has to happen first but then Jesus also says later look I'm going to depart he was actually discussing his exodus back to heaven with Moses and Elijah what he was talking about was this that we know that that after Jesus hung out with his disciples for a while he took him up on another mountaintop. The story is in Acts chapter 1. And he gave him some final instruction. And then, he, and then he ascended back into the clouds. And Jesus ascended into heaven. But it says, from where he will later come back. So Jesus ascends into heaven. And, 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 and before he ascends, he says this, I will build my church. I will build my church. And that's where we're living in the, in, the, in the history of planet Earth right now. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are part of the church, whose nickname, by the way, is what? The body of... You don't know this? I'm going to ask it again. It's the body of... Yeah, it's not the body of Seacoast. It's the body of Christ. That we are the tangible expression and body of Jesus Christ on planet Earth so that God can continue to build this kingdom and invite others to be a part of it through Christ. And, and for now, we are nicknamed the church, the body of Christ, the gathering, the ecclesia called the church. And that's where we're living today. So what about the kingdom? When is it going to happen? What we learn, we don't have time to deal with this in detail today, but basically the short, simple version is, Jesus said to his disciples, but guess what, guys? Um, I'm coming back. In fact, I do have a verse on it. Let me put Matthew 25, 31. Matthew 25, Jesus said this. He says, then the king, referring to himself, Jesus, will say to those on his right when he comes to judge humanity. He's going to come and judge all of humanity. And those on his right are are those who are his believers, who are his followers. Those on his left are those who have disobeyed him and left him and not believed in him. And, and he says this, those, to those on his right are his believing followers. He says, where is it? Here we go. Come, you who are blessed of my Father, 
Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Wow. So Jesus is going to return, and then his kingdom, the Messiah's kingdom, is going to come. And we're in that time period now that someday, when we least expect it, Scripture says Jesus Christ will appear in the clouds with the angels, with the saints of old, and he will return, and he will institute his kingdom on planet Earth. Jesus doesn't correct them and say, no, 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 there's never going to be a kingdom on planet Earth. It's only a spiritual kingdom up in heaven. Jesus never says that because it will happen. He will bring his kingdom into existence. I personally believe it will be a thousand years, depending on your views of these things. You may have a different view of that, but the reality is Jesus' kingdom, in one form or another, is going to come to planet Earth. And it's not going to be the result of what we do. It'll be the result of what he does. And then there'll be a judgment. And then we move into eternity. And eternity gets really wild and, and interesting because it's described as a new heaven and a new earth. And this is what Jeff Bezos doesn't know. Is he's right that planet earth is not sustainable forever. That we're on a road toward destruction. What he's wrong on is where that destruction will come from. And I, I don't say that to criticize him. Again, I appreciate the fact here's a guy trying to figure out solutions to help people. That's a good thing. So, but, but yet, the glorious future that you and I know is that at some point, God will destroy both heaven and earth and resurrect them into a new heaven and a new earth in which it says in Scripture we dwell forever and ever in these spiritual bodies. So you're not just going to be hanging out in the clouds for eternity. You're going to be in a spiritual body living on planet Earth and the heavens if you want to go back and forth because you can do that. But the reality is that's your eternity. It is not some ethereal kind of misty, unknown mystery. Scripture gives you a lot of awesome details. Now, back to the implication then. So if we have a clearer view of Jesus, we have a clearer view of ourselves and our future in eternity, okay? And now we begin to understand that. And then we get a clearer view of what the kingdom of God is. It's being built right now on planet Earth as we share the good news of Jesus Christ with people. So therefore, the next cool thing is this whole story gives us a proper focus not just for eternity, but for now. And if I were to capture it in the story, it's that simple phrase. God says, Peter, shh! I don't know if God shushes people or not, but that's how my mom did it. When I'm talking too much, shh! But he, while Peter's talking, the voice interrupts him and says, shh! That part's not in Scripture, but I like it. Shh! This is my beloved son, whom I love, the chosen one. Listen to him. Listen to him. He'll tell you what to do next. He'll tell you what's important in life. He'll tell you how to, how to come and believe in him and have life. Listen to Jesus. What Jesus' last instructions to his church 
where I will build my church. And I want you to do the building. I want you to, I will build it, but you're going to be involved in the process. I want to do it through you. That's why I'm leaving you on planet Earth while I go back to heaven. And he sent his Holy Spirit to live in us, to empower us for this amazing task. But it is interesting again, though, that when Jesus was about to depart, his exodus back to the heavens, which I think he was discussing with Elijah and Moses, he gathered his disciples the final time, and as he was talking to them about the kingdom of God, here's what the disciples said. Now, if you ever feel clueless, this should encourage you. The disciples said to Jesus, as he's about to depart, he says, so when they came together, they were asking Jesus, Lord, is it at this time that you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? Is it now? I mean, you rallied us, brought us up the mountain. Is, is this the time now? They were still expecting Jesus to launch the kingdom, even at that point in Acts chapter 1. And, you know, and by the way, Jesus never corrects their view of the future. We call it eschatology. He doesn't say, you know, you guys don't understand. There is no more Israel. The church is the new Israel. It's not true. Now, some theologians believe that, and I love them. But, you know, Jesus, when they say, is this the time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he says, look, guys, <laughs> he doesn't say you're, you've got it all wrong. What he says is it's not for you to know the times and the epics or the time in which this is going to happen. I think Jesus is affirming their theology, but he's saying, guys, you're getting off focus again. You're getting so excited about kicking the Romans out and establishing the kingdom of God on earth right now. It's not for you to know the time or the, or the epics, uh, in other words, when and how that's going to be happening. Instead, he says, but, verse 8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses from Jerusalem to the remotest parts of the earth. That's your focus, guys. Quit worrying about exactly when I'm going to bring my kingdom to planet earth. It's going to happen, trust me. But for right now, your focus is the mission. Your focus is people need the good news of what I have done for them. People need to hear that good news, and it's your job to get the good news out to them. Awesome. He gives us that focus. You say, well, Dale, I don't deserve this. How can I do this? And that's the final point of the sermon, and that is this. He gives them a touch of grace. Uh, you don't read it in Luke, but if you read the Matthew version, it says that when they fell on their faces afraid and the cloud left, Jesus walks over to them and he reaches down and touches them and tells them to get up. And he says, don't be afraid. And he calms their fears and tells them to stand up. And he says, now let's go. It happens the same way in Revelation chapter 1, where John has a vision of this glorified Jesus that scares him. And this glorified Jesus touches John and says, John, I got something for you to do, man. Don't be afraid. Get up. We got work to do. And he gives John his assignment. See, here's the deal. If you've been touched by the grace of God, you have nothing to fear. Even in the presence of a holy God, you have nothing to fear because your sins are totally paid for, completely. But yet, you're not just forgiven, you are sent 
into this world to make a difference. That's what he wants us to know. That's what he wants our focus. In light of understanding our eternity, now we understand our purpose on planet Earth. So how clear is your focus? That's the closing question. How clear is your focus of who Jesus is, of what your eternity is like, of what the kingdom of God is like, and what's now but what's coming, of, of, of the mission that God has, not for the church, but for you as part of the church. And if you've been touched by His grace, you've tasted what it means to wake up every day forgiven by the grace of God. Man, how cool is that? You've been going to church too long if you've forgotten that. Seriously. Sometimes I forget the beauty of that. That we have a God who loved us, died for us, rose from the dead, is glorified, seated at the right hand of God in heaven, and he looks like a very different Jesus. The glory of God shines. And that Jesus, with all the power and glory of God, will someday return. And there will be a kingdom. No matter what form you think it's going to be in, there will be a kingdom followed by a glorious eternity and a new heaven and a new earth in a glorified body that never dies, never gets sick and is able to fully love and worship God, sinless, free. Man, that view of eternity should change your everyday life. Pray with me. Father God, thank you so much for the clarity of eternity, for this glimpse into eternity that you gave. And I pray, Father, that um, as we live in response to that, that you, you, dear Father, would um, change us. Change us so that we live for things that matter, things that are eternal, that we don't just fall in love with this life, Lord, there's plenty to enjoy on planet Earth, and thank you for those enjoyments. There's no guilt in enjoying those. But Father, let us not live for those. Let us live investing in our destiny, investing in your kingdom, investing in your eternal life that will have no end. And use us to invite others into that life. Father, if we have a friend here today who is just beginning to sense their need for Christ, I would invite them to pray with me now and say, Lord, Jesus, I didn't realize who you were. Now I know. And I place my faith in you as the risen, glorified Christ, the one who died for me. Thank you for dying for my sins and offering me life, and I place my faith in you. Teach me what it really means to follow you. In Christ's name, amen.